Isn't that just a calming way to start your morning? Yeah. It's pretty awesome. So I'm not going to introduce myself. I'm going to pray today. You want to do that? Yep. Let's do it. Father, we, we're so thankful to be able to gather in your name. So amazing to hear from backstage, um, people singing loud. Um, and we just pray that as we do this series on prayer, that you, in, you visit us in our prayers, whether that's through a dream, through a vision, through a small, still voice, or simply your presence that transcends all understanding. And Lord, through the next seven weeks, we just hope to spend more time with you in prayer and be with others as we pray for you, for others, for, for ourselves, and we ask, but more so than anything else, we just hope we draw closer to you as our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you haven't met before, my name is Kyle, and now we've met, so awesome. We are in the series called He Hears Us. Last week, I called week zero of this series uh, because it was kind of an intro. Uh, today is going to be week one, but I want to tell you a couple different things. Last week, we uh, had fall family kickoff, um, or family fall kickoff. I always get that wrong. Fam- we're not kicking off fall. Our families, we're kicking off fall, which is very different, and so it's family fall kickoff, and we do a couple things at, at family fall kickoff. One of the things is a heavy encouragement for you to get into a groups, and so um, when I talk with people in the lobby, I almost always ask the same question, are you in a group? I've done that with some of you today. And it's a heavy encouragement because we really think that you should not go through life alone. We really feel like everyone needs community and coming on a Sunday uh, is not enough. And so we hope you really will get into a, a group this, uh, for this series, especially so you can have other people come alongside you, pray with you and for you and just do life together. And we think you'll make some great friendships. But we also wanted to highlight a few ways to get connected, especially if you're uh, a man, is that we have some upcoming events. There's a barbecue. I'm going to show up just because there is food. It's an easy ask for me. I can get a lot of things done if you just uh, have food. There's a barbecue on September 23rd. There's a golf tournament on October 4th. Uh, There's a turkey bowl in November, and there's a gear swap December 3rd. And part of the reason we're highlighting men is that men, we take a little bit longer to connect with other people. Women, you're just better at it than we are. We wave the white flag. You're better at it. Um, And I tend to, to gather and hang out with guys more around fun stuff. And so we hope you'll come to these barbecues. Uh, We hope you'll gather and do fun stuff like mountain biking and all that sort of stuff. I also wanted to highlight the golf tournament as well. If you need someone in your life who really needs to work on their humility, this is the event for you. Because if you have someone who you know who is arrogant or prideful, just send them to this. They will come back a piddly, puddly mess of a human being. That's why I'm going. And this isn't just a, a men's event. We've had some women um, sign up for this too, so we hope you'll do that. Um, it's actually a, a tournament that's hosted um, by another church, and there's a, there's a trophy, and I would love to bring that trophy home because I'm competitive. So if you're good, sign up for this golf tournament. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We'd love to hang out with you. It's a two-person scramble. It's a great way to get to know other people in our church. Um, it's also a great way uh, to be humiliated by a little white golf ball. Okay. Okay. All that kind of aside, I hope what you're taking away from this is we really want you to get connected. That may be an event. It may be at a group. And also, if you have kids or if you have students, it's not too late to sign them up. Midweek here is a big deal for us. We've got kids and students. Uh, Kids have kids programming over there in our wonderful kids ministry. And our students are are here as well, at least the middle schoolers on Wednesday nights. And then we've got things like uh, our worldview class. We've got Christianity 101. And we've got He Hears Us. So that is my pitch for all that because I really, really want you to be in a group this fall. And some of you have been coming for a long time. 
and you're not in a group. And when I find you, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. That sounds more like a threat. All right. So let, let's do this. I hope that's a good pitch for you. I hope, I hope really that you get into a group because it's really, really impactful to do that. So today we're, we're starting off this prayer series with Psalm number one. And the title of this is called The Two Ways, because that's essentially what Psalm one is about. This whole series is praying through the Psalms. So what I want to do is I want to recap a little bit if you missed last week, because last week, um, one of the things I said there is going to be a thread that goes along this entire series and helps you set you up really well. So we talked about four big questions about prayer. Prayer is one of those things. Some people don't like to pray out loud. Some people don't like to pray in private. Some people just don't like to pray. Some people don't know how to pray. Do I talk to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the big man upstairs? Like, who is it that I talk to? And so prayer can sometimes be daunting. And so we ask a couple different questions here for us to be specific. Why do you pray? Do you have a need? Or is there someone you're praying for or with? <clears throat> How, what, who do you pray to that not everyone prays to the same being, the same person, or even like a higher power? How should you pray? You know, are you supposed to be on your knees? Is there a posture? You know, can you eat a taco that I talked about last week while you're praying? Is that a no-go? <clears throat> what should you pray for? Are you supposed to come to God to ask, to praise him, to complain? plain. What are you supposed to do? We answered both of those or two of those last week. We talked about this one. Why do you pray? And we said one of the biggest reasons we pray is we ask someone who can accomplish something beyond our ability. It's very basic. Part of the reason we come to God and we talked about how prayers are the currency of humanity, that whether you are an atheist, an agnostic, a Muslim, a Jew, a Christian, or just a person who is non-conforming to any sort of religion, you may at some point in your life pray because you are incapable of doing something and you will seek a higher power or whoever is in charge of the universe because you get to a place where you're so desperate that you go, someone help me out here. I can't do this alone. It's very basic why we pray. And then we talk about who you pray to. And this one was actually probably more pivotal than what you pray for. And we talked about two different kinds of relationships. And I had all sorts of people. I talked to people about this at Starbucks. I had people text message me. I talked to people in person. Like I talked with a lot of people about how pivotal it is to get this relationship right. And we talked about the first way that when we pray to God as a business partner, we focus on the exchange. God, what will you, can you give me? Or what has he not given you? And when you focus on the exchange, that if you were to treat any other person that way in your life, it would be incredibly unhealthy. If you were to go to your daughter and be like, hey, either you snuggle me or I don't give you, you know, the toy that you want, that would be so unhealthy. And if you do that to your spouse or your friends or someone at church, we recognize, but sometimes we slip into this with God and we go, hey, what can I get from you? What can you do for me? Or maybe you are highlighting more of the things that he hasn't done for you. And so we should not treat God as a business partner. And the superior way, the way that Jesus told us to do it is we focus on a family relationship. When we pray to God like a family member, we focus on the relationship. And Jesus taught us when he was asked, by his disciples, how we should pray. The first thing he said was you approach God as a father. You say, hey, father, and you acknowledge the relationship that you have with God. And that's pivotal because when you focus on the relationship, the exchange is not nearly as important as the relationship itself. That the basis also for your relationship of, what, of whether or not you will be heard is better because when you pray to a family member, meaning God as your father, you're actually more likely to be heard because there is a relationship there. It doesn't mean that if you do not know God and if you're trying to get in a relationship with him is that you pray to him that he won't acknowledge and maybe even answer 
your bread. That's not what it means. But what it does mean is it seems like that Jesus is teaching that when you pray, you focus on the relationship first. Not only will that be the basis on which you have been heard, but it will, it will make sure you focus on why you're praying in the first place. Not so you can get to the ask, but so you can get to the acknowledgement of the relationship that you have with God. Okay, good so far? So the other things we're going to ask probably for the rest of this series of the next seven weeks are the next two. How should you pray and what should you pray for? Now, these are probably the ones that most people really want to know the answer to. You know, who is probably not necessarily as important to you, though it is the foundation for your prayer. Most people want to know, how should I pray and what should I pray for? And the Psalms are really, really good at that. There are lots of different places in scripture that you can talk about how to pray and what to pray for. But I wanted to point this out. The Psalms are a collection of prayers that teach us to praise God in all circumstances more than petitioning Him to improve ours. And that's a big, big deal. So as you read through the Psalms, there's a bunch of Psalms in there. As you read through them, you'll notice something very interesting. A lot of the Psalms do ask for things. King David often asked for deliverance from his enemies. Some of the other Psalm writers who we're not quite sure about, they would ask God to protect them, or sometimes they just ask God to be with them. There are asks in there, but pretty much every Psalm, even if it's a Psalm of lament or complaint or anger, and God can take angry prayers too. Even those, there's a way that the psalmist continually comes back to praise God in some way, shape, or form. And the petitioning part to ask God to change our circumstances is something that most people want to do. That's why we're coming to him in the first place. If we could do it ourselves, we wouldn't come to him. If we could get that thing, if we can get that person, if we could improve our own circumstances, we would not come to God in the first place. That's the reason we're coming to him. But if we miss out on the prayer and the praise portion of prayer, we've missed out on everything. And so the Psalms are brilliant in that way. And they're one of the most celebrated books in all of history. You know, you don't even have to be a Christian to realize some of them. Next week, we're going to deal with Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd, and I have no wants and needs, and I can't wait to get to that one. For today, we're going to be in Psalm 1, and I want to talk about the two ways. That's the, the reason we, I entitled this. It's called The Two Ways. Now, Psalm 1 is the beginning of the book of Psalms, and there are a lot of Psalms in there, and it's more like a wisdom literature than an introduction to the book rather than a specific prayer. But at the end today, we are going to pray, um, and if you want to pray alongside that, you can do that. But the Psalm number one is kind of a wisdom literature. It kind of tells you, before you start on this journey with God. And it's a great way to start off a series in prayer. I'm going to try to do my best to explain why that is. But before you start on this journey of your relationship with God, before you go any further, there's something you have to do. Everyone gets to a crossroads at some point in their life. And the two ways in Psalm 1 tells us what that is. It says this, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. That's how Psalm 1 starts. If you notice, there are three different ways to be associated with people who are wicked, or mockers, or sinners. You can walk, you can stand, or you can sit. And it's a brilliant way of introducing this topic. Because all three of those we may have done or are doing, or maybe we're just doing one of those. I mean, just sitting in the company of someone who is not good for you can affect you in some way, shape, or form. You know, in Jesus' day, um, Pharisees wouldn't actually eat 
with sinners. And part of the reason is that a meal, and and pardon the illustration here, um, a meal was as intimate as sexual intercourse. Meaning you were so intimate with someone when you sat down to a meal with them that you had to choose carefully who you sat down with. And obviously Jesus says, those are the people I came to be with. Those are the people I want to sit down with. But there's a difference between when Jesus does it and when you and I do it. Because he's offering them something that they can't get anywhere else. You see, when you and I do it, we don't have the ability that Jesus does. He can sit in the presence of someone who is so wicked and so sinful and so terrible, it will never affect who he is. Because he is holy and righteous and good. The only way that someone gets affected is they get affected by him. And that's not the same with you and I. If you sit long enough in the company of mockers, they eventually will rub off on you. And this is what Psalm 1 is about. It's basically saying, be careful who you eat with. Be careful who you sit with. Be careful whose company that you keep. And then going kind of up from there, what about if you stand? You can go back one. Sorry, I've jumped the gun there. What if you stand in the pathway? So now you're not just Now you're not just sitting with them. Now you're not just listening with them, but you're in an upright position, ready to move if they can be convincing with you. What if you stand in their way, but do nothing? If you know of someone who's going to do something terrible and you stand and you do nothing, you're culpable in some ways. Or another way to think about it is if you stand and they're talking about something that they will do that will dishonor themselves, their family member, or God, and you are enticed to go with them, you're ready to walk. The highest one here. Walking in the advice of the wicked is something that the psalmist wants to, I guess, caution at all costs. It's bad enough when you sit. It's Worse if you stand with them, but the worst thing you can do is walk alongside a person who is wicked or sinful and go with them. Now, what does this mean for evangelism? I mean, Christians are called to be with people who do not know God. We are called to go with people who are not walking with God. So what does that mean? And it's a clear distinction here is that one of them is influence upon you and the other one is you influencing them. You're not to go along with them. You're not to stand and do nothing. You might be able to sit with them for a while. And for Christians, what we are called to do is we are called to go and be with people who do not yet know God, but we always have to be cautious. Otherwise, they will pull us down with them. So it's a hard lesson to learn. I mean, right at the beginning of Psalm 1, it's basically like saying, hey, you got to be careful you hang out with. Because not everyone is going to be on your side. Not everyone is going to point you to God. The psalm continues. It says, instead, instead, the person, his or her delight is in the Lord's instruction. And so there's clearly a dichotomy going on here. Is a wicked person is not for the Lord's instruction. And the person who delights in the Lord's instruction is a person who is righteous and good. And he or she meditates on it all day and night. And there's an implication here. The implication is you know what God's instruction is, which requires one very important thing, reading or listening, because that totally counts. I listen to my Bible audio. Do you guys do that? It totally counts. Either way. But he basically is saying, the psalmist is basically saying, in order for you to know God's instruction, you have to pick up his book and read it. You have to know what it says. 
If you don't know that, how will you know what is wicked and what is righteous? How will you know whether to follow God or this path is not following God? You have to know what his instruction is. That's why Bible reading is so important. It's why maybe part of the reason that society and culture is starting to fall off a cliff for the last hundred years or something like that is that because our love of Scripture has waned, and we need to be reintroduced to it. A couple things to notice here. First, you know, before we start praying for God's intervention, we should be living according to his instruction. You know, this is a tough one because most of the time, especially if we're trying to pray to get ourselves out of trouble, especially if we know we have done something wrong, we've coming, we're coming to God after the fact. We're saying, hey, God, could you rescue me from this? I know I made this terrible decision. I won't do it again. I know this is time number seven, but I won't do it again, I promise. And we, we plead for God's intervention in, in our lives. Hey, will you save me from this addiction? Hey, will you, will you make me into the person my spouse actually wants to be with? Hey, will you, will you save me from this debt collector? We come to him and we ask him to intervene in our lives. And the problem can be, at least this is maybe my problem, maybe it's not yours, is that sometimes we just go, am I even just living according to the ways that he has instructed do I know what his scripture says? Do I follow those ways? And the reason maybe that's so important is the second point. You know, living according to God's instruction helps us avoid most of life's troubles, heartache, and tragedies. It's one of the most powerful attributes about scripture. Let me, can I tell you a secret about it? If you follow his ways, they work. It's crazy how that happens. Let me just give you some generic subject matters. You know, when you follow God's scripture, do you know what you know above all else? What is true and what is false? And in our world, that is so pivotal because truth has been on the chopping block for a long time. It's hard to know what's real. It's hard to know what's true. And when you read God's scripture, you realize what is true and what is false. You know where your salvation comes from. It's not in yourself, it's not in a person in society, it's Jesus Christ himself. You know that, with the most important piece of information of all time. And as you read scripture, you'll get all sorts of pieces of wisdom to help you. There's parenting advice, there's singles advice, there's marriage advice, there's advice about your finances, there's advice about the company that you keep, there's advice about how to connect with God. There's the illumination of God's spirit being within every Christian person and the knowledge that he will be with you forever and he will be with you through the tough times and the good times and the terrible times and the times you don't even see coming. It's that when you read his instruction, when you read scripture and you actually begin and I actually begin and we begin to apply it, it's amazing how many things in life you can avoid. You can avoid bad relationships. You can avoid bad financial systems or situations and decisions. You can avoid bad choices. I mean, some of them are very basic. I mean, the Bible basically says nothing good happens after 10 o'clock. Don't do things after dark. And you're like, that one makes sense. Never, never done anything after 10 p.m. that I'm super proud of, you know? You know, it's, they're very basic things in Scripture. And then they're also very lofty things that you realize that someday that Jesus has said that he's gone to make a place for us, that his father's house has many rooms, and we have the hope to be with him at some point. 
And maybe just that realization will keep you, keep me and keep us from most of life's troubles and heartaches and tragedies because we so desperately want to look towards a better place. You know, reading God's scripture really does help you avoid most of the world's heartache. There's a reason I'm going to talk about this, and maybe this is a bit of a gut punch early on, but you'll get the picture in a few minutes. So going back to Psalm 1, the psalmist says, He, or she, is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in its season, and its leaf does not weather. Whatever he does, he or she does, prospers. Now, this is not prosperity. This does not mean that all of your financial endeavors will go well. It does not mean all of your kids sing kumbaya and they never get into a fight. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's not what it means. What it means is, in general, as you're following God's way, there is no way for you not to prosper ultimately and even temporarily. Ultimately, if you follow God's ways, you will be on a path to seeking Him, and at the end of your life, you won't be surprised that the prize of your life is not going to a heavenly place where the streets are paved with gold. If you follow God's ways, your ultimate gift is God Himself. You will seek Him all of your life, and you will go after Him, and then you will meet Him, and you'll be like, this is what I wanted this whole time. This is what I wanted. But the psalmist basically says, a person who walks in God's ways is full of life. They're refreshing to all people around them. They provide much-needed shade for people who need to desperately get out of the hotness of life. They do not wither under the constraints of life. They do not buckle when life is hard. They seem to be compassionate and kind and paradoxically calm when everything is going to whatever word you want to insult. The insert there. I'll let you do that one. But then there's this contrast. The psalmist says this, the wicked are not like this. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff. They're dead. Chaff was something that would be cut off, that would blow around in the wind, and the wind blows them away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. There's a clear division, and in case this sounds harsh, Jesus did this all the time. He always divided the world in two. He said, there are sheep, and there are goats, and there are sinners, and there are saints, and there are people who are with God, and there are people who are against God. There is no middle ground. There's no gray area when it comes to Jesus. You don't get to step your foot in one and step your foot in another. You are all in on one side or all in on the other. And he says there are people who follow wickedness. But it's interesting. He also gives an encouragement. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Do you see how bad those two are? God actually looks for, and there are lots of scripture to back this up, God's eyes look to and fro on the earth for people who will honor him. God looks for people who says, you above all else. You know, Jesus would pick up this motif, and it probably originated with him, though this was written a long time before the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, came to earth as a man. But all scripture originates with him. You know, Jesus, when he was talking about how to follow God or not, he was talking about the kingdom of God, one of his favorite subjects. He talked about two roads. He says there's the narrow way and there is the wide way. 
And the wide way is easy to get to. It's paved with signs. The road is nice. There's a bunch of people on it. It's mostly flat and downhill. It's easy. And then you got the narrow way. And the narrow way leads up. There's no markings. You have to look for it around bushes and stuff. It's treacherous. And all the time on the narrow road, you can see the wide road that people are going on. And you're like, I wonder if I picked the wrong way. There's not that many people on this road. There's a lot of people on that one. And all along the way, you are tempted to go, maybe I should go back. Maybe I have chosen poorly. And Jesus says, keep going. Because the narrow road is the road that leads to life. And the wide road leads to destruction. It's basically essentially the same thing that the psalmist was saying so long ago. God watches over the way, the path of those who walk in the ways of God, the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to ruin. There is something at the end that you do not want to bother with. So what does all this have to do with prayer? I'm glad you asked, and we're going to figure that out real quick. Let's jump to the New Testament real quick, because this, this idea of righteousness and wickedness is all over. And you know, just to set this up a little bit, you know, Jesus was very clear about who he came to this earth for. He says, I have come to seek and save the lost. And you know what percentage of people that was? It's 100% of people. So he came, came to seek and save everybody. And when he did that, he often said some very interesting things. You know, what's a tragedy in the church world is that I call it the Matthew 28 problem. You know, Jesus is crucified in Matthew 27. And the thing that we love more than anything else is to come back to the cross and to say, God, thank you so much for doing this for me. And then we go back to our lives on the way of ruin or destruction. And then we come back and we go, oh, the cross saved me. That's right. Jesus saved me. And in the New Testament, it talks about like, if you follow Jesus and you for a little while, and then you just go back to your own ways, you're crucifying him again and again and again. And the problem with it is there's a Matthew 28. Matthew 28, Jesus is very much alive. And he asks his people to follow him. He said, I did the cross thing. I gave you an out. I freed you from sin. You are no longer to live in that way. And one of the things that maybe isn't preached enough about is when Jesus confronted sinners. Do you know what he said often? Go and leave your life of sin. He didn't just say, it's all good. Don't worry about it. Save you from everything. You can still go on partying. Whatever you want to do is fine. You got the ticket. And for so often, for, for a long time, you know, the big C church treated salvation that way. As long as you got your ticket to heaven, you were good. It's part of the reason most of the, world's, the worlds of the world do not like Christians. It's because we've been saved from something and we forget we were saved for something as well. We got our ticket, we looked like the rest of the world, and people go, why should I join? You don't look any different than I do. Which is why Jesus, when he approached sinners, he says, I'm going to save you from that if you believe in me. But then you must go and leave your life of sin. You must get off the path of wickedness and you must get on to the path of following me in righteousness. And here's how that pertains to prayer. Peter, one of the disciples, one of the guys who got out of the boat, thought he could walk on water, and he did for a little bit, which is super cool. And then he took his eyes off Jesus, a great metaphor for life, and he began to sink. And he, even Peter, sinned. 
Like he, he was a follower of Jesus. Jesus told him, on this rock, I will build my church. And even he sinned. Paul would later on in the New Testament confront Peter because he would uh, abide by cultural constraints and he would not eat with sinners. And Paul had to confront him. So Peter knows what this is like. So here's what Peter says. He says, you know, for the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. It's one of the things that marks a Christian Now, if we had more time, the technical term for this is repentance, and it literally means to change your mind and to change of direction and to move on to a different path. But Peter continues, says, let him seek peace and pursue it because, and here's the reason why you should do this. Here's the reason why you should turn from, and maybe this is a motivation for your prayer life. You know, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, on the righteous people. And his ears are open to their prayer. Do you hear the massive implication here? God's eyes, if we were to take a negative of this, are not on the wicked. And his ears are closed to their prayer. These aren't my words. These are Peter's words. Peter, who walked with Jesus, who understood the magnitude of what following him was like. He had to give up his business. He had to give up his friendships. He gave up everything to follow him. And this is Peter's insistence. He's like, the reason you should walk in God's ways, if you want any chance of your prayers being answered, and maybe it's offensive, but God's eyes are on the people who follow him in his ways. Are the people who desperately come to him? It's not the perfect people, because that's not, that's not what this means. I'll deal with that in a second. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. I mean, God is very clear about this. If you are righteous, meaning if you want to follow me, and you do the best of your ability to follow me, my ears are open to what you ask for. But if you continue to do evil willingly, if you continue to defame my name, if you continue to move away from me, I can't hear you. I don't hear you because I don't want to. Let's give another example. James, brother of Jesus, would say this. You know, you don't have because you do not ask. And you're like, well, I do ask. It's like, wait, let me finish. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. You know, we started this series by saying that God promises to answer any prayer that is according to His will, not to our own. And maybe the reason you have gotten to know, and I've gotten to know, is because our motives are wrong. Maybe they're selfish. Maybe they're just misguided. Maybe we just don't have the right motives yet. But He says, look, the reason that many of us ask in prayer is because we want something for ourselves so that we can spend it on our own pleasures. James continues on, he says, you know, therefore you should confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful. The person who listens to God and follows in his way. 
And I want to point out something that's, I think, very important in understanding what wickedness actually is. So we just, can, we just think that wickedness are those for those evil people who are like, oh, we know those kind. Those are the people who human traffic. Those are the people who are abusive. Those are the people who murder. Those are the people who commit sexual assault. Those are the people who rape people. Those are the people who are just terrible uh, people. Those are Raiders fans. Like all those people, <laughs> all those people. I'm just kidding. If you're a Raiders fan, I'm a 49ers fan in case you want to make fun of me. That's fine. Hold the applause. Hold the applause. Okay. I didn't know there were snakes in here. That's really good. The reason this is so important is we always think it's those people. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. The wicked people are also the pharisaical people. The people who on the outside look like they are following God. In fact, he was harsher to them. He's like, you, you study the scriptures to seek me and you've missed me. You put a yoke upon other people and you're hyper-religious and you call out judgment in other people. And he's like, hey, you got something sticking out of your own eye. You got a massive plank in your eye and you're looking at the speck of spawdust, speck of spawdust, speck of sawdust in someone else's eye. He's like, you've got this all wrong. It's not just the people who you can clearly see who need help. It's the people who think they need no help at all. I read my Bible, I go to church, I know scripture really well, I know who's evil and I know who's not. It's the people who cast judgment on others. I mean, Jesus says, you can, that's a long swath of people to be in the middle of. The people that are easy to see and the people who are so religious that they miss Jesus. I mean, they killed him. And these were supposed to be the, the religious people that the, the Jerusalem looked to. So it's not so obvious. It means we have to look within ourselves and ask God to find any ways within us. It means we have to be honest and go, am I the person who is against God? Am I righteous? You know, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament discovered this the hard way. He, said, he thought he had a righteousness of his own. He was a Pharisee. He was born in the right neighborhood on the right day. He taught a lot of people. He went around crucifying or, or, or harming Christians. He put some of them to death. And he's like, I am doing God's work. And then Jesus is like, eh, it's an awkward conversation because you're not doing my work. You're actually against me. And Paul had probably the whole entire Torah memorized. He was part of the religious uh, sacrificial system. You know, he was part of the religious elite he went about thought, thinking he was doing God's work, and he wasn't. That should cause more than a few of us to pause and to go, is that me? So to make this practical, now that you're all depressed, to make this practical, let's talk about some next steps real quick. And this is, this is more for us. This is something for you personally, because I'm hoping that this series changes how you pray. We're going to do a prayer in just a second. But here's, here's one of the next steps. First one, picture what's at the end of the way you're going. It's not hard. Let me give you a few examples. If your marriage is in shambles, it's not hard to see where the end of that road is. It could be apathy. You guys become roommates. You do the roommate thing. The romance is gone in your life. You really don't really like hanging out anymore. You stay together because it would be financial ruin to leave one another. Or you get divorced. 
You know, because you've been doing this for so long and you don't want to change yourself and you don't want to, you know, help them out. You see what's at the end, but you don't really see because it's almost impossible to see all of the consequences that happen when a marriage is ruined. For some of you, you have some sort of addiction. You've been down this road before. You know what it looks like at the end. Utter ruin in your entire life. If you continue to go, you will push people away. You will probably lose your job. People will help you for a little while, and then they might leave you. And you know what that's like. If you're a person who's constantly just mean to other people, it's not hard to see what's at the end of that road. You're a jerk. <laughs> people don't want to be around you. Your business starts going down here. Your kids start to dislike you. You're angry all of the time. It's not hard to see what's at the end of the road. If you're a lazy employee, you won't have a job for long. If you come in when you want and you lie to your employer or you just don't give your best, you won't work there for very long. Or if you do, you're just going to get by and eventually you're going to resent people because you never get a promotion. It's not hard to see what's at the end of our road. But the, another way of thinking about this is if you are on God's path, you know exactly what's at the end. At the end of it is a relationship with God for all of eternity. And along the way, you will avoid some of the mistakes of the people who are on the way of wickedness. You know what's at the end. You know that eternal life, security, and a sinless life in heaven with the people you know and love and care about that will motivate you to do things differently in your life right now. And so you have to be honest with yourself. Picture what's at the end of the way that you're going. And maybe only you can do that. And if you don't know, ask someone to look for you. Hey, if I continue down this road, what do you see? Because other people might even see it before you. It's like, oh yeah, I thought you were a jerk for a while. Thanks for asking. Don't do that one. But you can ask the people that you love, it's like, where, where are we going? Where are we going if I continue like this? Second one, read, meditate on, and pray Psalm 1 back to God. You know, one of the brilliant things about the Psalms, especially if you're a person who doesn't like to pray or doesn't know how to pray, is you can actually just pray Scripture back to God. And you can just put your name in there. Or you can just put an I language. Hey God, I pray that I am not on the path of wickedness. I pray that I am like a tree next to the stream who is refreshed by you. God, lead me away from the ways of the wicked. God, help me see your face. Like you can, you can do that very easily if you do not know what to pray. And part of the bonus is that is that God's Holy Spirit helped write this scripture. It is for God. He had a hand in it. So saying it back to him, you connect with him in a way that just our words won't. But in case you need some additional help, thank you for asking, I brought a prayer this week. I'm just going to read this to you. And it just says this, and this is just a version of what it just tells you to do. You know, God, help me know and follow your ways. Help me think about and pray to you day and night, not just over mealtimes, not just when I need it. Enable me to bring life and joy and peace everywhere I go like the tree by the side of the stream. Strengthen me to leave my wicked ways, because I have some, and wicked 
people. Give me the strength to say goodbye to them. Not in an evangelistic way, because you still care about them and you love them, but in an influential, they control my life kind of way. And to seek you above all else and watch over me and walk beside me. A peek into next week. Maybe this is just the prayer. You feel free to take a picture. Feel free to email me. I'm, by me, I mean Roy, and we'll send it to you, and we'll get it to you. <laughs> but maybe this is just something that you need. A prayer this week to go, God, there is something in me that's wicked and not good. I don't want to admit it, but please help me eradicate that. Put me back on the path. And can I just tell you, I mean, you probably know this. It's easier not following God. It is. There's no other way to say it. It's more comfortable in the world not to follow him. You get more perks when you don't follow him. You're more well-liked. Who wants to be liked? <laughs> Following God is very, very hard in this world because most people in the world do not follow him. And you will be made fun of. People question your motives. They wonder. You will stand out, but that's exactly what Jesus told us to do. You're like a city on a hill. You're like a lamp in the darkness. You're like salt to the world. We need you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Psalm 1 and all the riches in it. We, we did not do it justice, but Lord, I pray that we go back and read Psalm 1 and just picture ourselves. Which path are we on? Lord, it is never too late to draw us to follow you, to walk in your ways. Help us see the benefit of doing that. It may not be easier, but it is better. Help us Go away from wicked people who influence us, but help us stay in their lives in order to show them you in the path of righteousness. Lord, search our hearts and our minds and our actions for any offensive way within us and carve them out to make room for you. In Jesus' name, amen.